Secondly, uh, in the back is the uh, work I referenced last week, the hard-to-find uh, work. It arrived, um, uh, and it's in the bookshop. Uh, it's called The Christian's True Identity, and basically each chapter takes one of the key passages from one of Paul's letters where being in Christ, in Him, in the Lord, in the Beloved is emphasized and does an excellent job practically and theologically, but also in a, in a deeply personal and spiritual way, helping you think through and live out of the goodness of that new identity. So that's in the back, and uh, you can review it at your leisure. Colossians chapter 3. Just a moment, I'll be reading from verse 12 to the end of that section, verse 17, as we continue in our series called The Core. It's been our summer series, keeping Jesus at the center of our lives. And this morning, we come to a passage that keeps Jesus at the center of a church's life and um, relationships, too in a message I entitled, The Marks of a Jesus-Centered Church. Let me pray, and then we'll read God's Word together, Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for this particular part of the Scriptures. Uh, Brief as it is, four short chapters, it is filled with good news, for the Christian believer and for the, the Christ-centered church. And so we pray, Lord, encourage our hearts with the good news that is found here and equip us with wisdom uh, to not only live out of these realities that Paul is uh, uh, detailing, um, but, Lord, do so in a way that brings our Savior more glory and deepens our joy in our union with him in our union with Christ. For the glory of Christ, we pray. For the glory of the new covenant, whose Lord's table meal we celebrated this morning, for, this, for the glory of your grace. We pray all these things as we now look in your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God 
the Father through him. Thanks be to God for his word. This morning, as is my custom, I walked out to the car uh, with my breakfast uh, in hand, uh, a freshly toasted everything bagel with some cream cheese, artfully spread across the bagel, and a glass of orange juice, a plastic cup of orange juice. I, I do it every morning, whether I'm coming up to church or coming up to the office or heading to the classroom. I'm a man of routine, and I like my everything bagel, and I like my cup of OJ. I don't know if you've ever experienced this with your routines, but I did something that is uncharacteristic with my OJ this morning. Normally, I open the door, place the bagel on the glove compartment there, or whatever that is in the middle of the driver's area, and place the OJ in the cup holder. But today, for reasons unbeknownst to me, I decided to place the OJ in the back seat on the floor with my computer bag, and as Linda got into the car, started the engine, and began our drive to Franklin. And I had this thought about a mile down the road as I'm chewing my bagel. Wouldn't it be nice to drink some OJ right now? And as I looked, this sense of horror, and I thought, oh, no. I put it on top of the car, which is what I normally do. I put it on top of the car to open the door, and then I get in and put the OJ in. And so I swerved into the next street, poor Linda's neck, and I jumped down and I looked up, and there's no OJ on top of the car. There's no cup, there's no spill, and there's no OJ running down the window. And I'm like, where's the OJ? And I get into the car, and Linda literally is texting Jacqueline saying, Jacqueline, on your way to church, can you pick up the plastic cup, your father? And she looks in the back, and there on the floor, still in the cup, is a cup of OJ. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, praise the Lord. There's many things you could draw from that. One, I drive the speed limit. Two, I'm a very safe driver, and so even OJ, and it's wrong. But secondly, I'm forgetful. I'm forgetful. I get busy, and I'm forgetful. Even things that are routine, like putting toxic, acidic OJ, you know, that can stain things in the cup holder. It is one thing for the Colossians to be forgetful whether it be in their routines or in some of their daily customs. It is another thing for the Colossians to exhibit amnesia when it comes to the realities of the gospel. The, I was told, and I believe this is true, although I haven't researched it, that amnesia, if you've got it, you forget who you are, and you forget your experiences from the past, and you lose 
meaningful connection with your identity. But when Christ is at the center of our identity, when a Christian is in Christ and he or she through both their theology and their ethics, their living, has Christ at the center, you reflect him. You exhibit him. And when you don't, there's one simple reason for me why I don't. I have gospel amnesia. I may know what the gospel is, but I'm no longer living in Christ. So this is a very challenging passage. And many of you will know it already. But here's my concern. Here's my concern for me. If I have gospel amnesia, these character traits may not be in display in my life. And I think, I think I'm still keeping Christ at the center. And we're not. Let's look at the word together. As there's much hope in this too. Put on then, Paul says in verse 12, as we just read, as God's chosen, holy, and beloved ones. Put on then, and then he says, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So Paul is beginning this section by calling the Colossians to a Christ-centered lifestyle consistent with their new identity, and he reminds them that as Christian believers in Christ, they have been chosen by him. They are dearly loved or beloved in him. They are holy through Christ alone. Isn't that good news? When I got up this morning, before I'd even cracked my Bible, as I was getting ready for the day and getting dressed, I had this song running through my head. It's a, it's a Christian song. It's actually theologically an astute song. It was simply saying to me, you are loved in Christ today. And it just brought new life, new joys. And all I'd done the last six to eight hours was sleep. That's the Colossians aren't sleeping, they are being addressed, and he is reminding them of their new identity. And that's what we looked at last week, isn't it? We looked at how when a person places their trust in Christ, they are given a new identity, a genuine identity, and that through that identity, we are given a new course to follow, what I liken to a map, because we are joined with Christ. And because we are joined with Christ, we put to death destructive patterns of our former life, the old man, the old person that had selfishness and self-centeredness and self-gratification and self-exaltation as there. And we put away destructive speech like anger or malice, lying, because we've been raised, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, in Christ. We are the sin that once held us captive, 
in Adam before we were a Christian has been buried with him, Paul says, through Christ's death, resurrection, and triumphant accession. And in the mystery of, of salvation, we are joined to Christ not only in his burial where the power of sin is defeated and death is defeated, but we've been raised to new life in him. And we tried to think about that in terms of this journey together. Now we come to verse 12, and we realize that Paul is still talking about our identity, but he's telling you and he's telling me we have to do something if we believe it. And if we don't do something, then we don't believe it. So we want to make sure we're doing it. So I liken this to a seesaw. We have this graphic. Pictures help me. I hope this helps you. It's called the identity seesaw. Jim, I don't know if we can project that. It will come up there. Do you know what a seesaw is as, as we have this graphic? There it is. We were talking about this on the way to the Brookline Reservoir. We had dinner with Bennett last night, and I was asking them for stories of growing up and their experiences with dad on the seesaw. And I don't know if you would do this, but I being heavy and my kids being light, I would be like on the, I would be like on the identity side of the seesaw, and they would be up high, and I wouldn't let them down. Right, and so their feet are dangling, and they're screaming, and and I sorta, you know, you ever do that? And they think, oh yeah, we're just, but there's this fear in them. You're just going to fall off it, and they're going to drop. And that has nothing to do with the passage. But <laughs> we were looking for in Paul, in many ways, is describing for the Colossians these new believers. He's he's teaching them how to live out the Christian life. That the Christian life is lived out like on a seesaw. There's passages in here that, that emphasize who you are in Christ, your identity. Verse 12, you are chosen in him. You are beloved in Christ. You are holy in Christ. That's the identity. See how the weight's there? But as soon as he says, put on, put on these things, now he shifts and the emphasis goes to lifestyle. And if we could flip it, we can't then the lifestyle side of the seesaw has all the weight and it goes down. It's emphasized. Does that make sense? So after church today, Dave is going to take you to the local seesaw. He doesn't tell you to put on your belovedness in Christ, does he? You are that if you're a Christian. He loves you. Through his sending of his son... His perfect, beautiful, holy, obedient, loving life and his substitutionary death on the cross where the power of sin not only was defeated but the judgment of sin, God's wrath for sin and and sinners for their rebellion against him, that justice is fulfilled and his resurrection from the dead where Death not only has been defeated, but the power of sin in the believer's life has been broken. And now through faith in him, we experience newness of life. We can, as God's chosen, holy, beloved ones, put on compassion hearts. We are commanded to put on kindness, to put it on. We are told here to put on humility. You know, in the Greek language, the word humility doesn't exist. 
in Greek culture, Paul's time. Because humility was despised. Sometimes I think in evangelicalism today, humility doesn't exist. Because it's viewed as weakness. But here it's Christ-centeredness, meekness, patience. These are all attitudes, not rules. These are all attitudes internal to a Christian. And they are to be expressed as we put on Christ. Therefore, as we worship Christ, what fuels not only my desire, but my scripture-saturated, laser-like focus to put on the virtues of Christ's likeness, verse 13, I bear with another. I, if I have a complaint against another, I forgive each other. You see that? As the Lord has forgiven you. And above all else, I put on love, which binds everything together in harmony. So I want you to ask yourself the question, who right now, everyone, I want you to ask this, you don't have to look at me. If it's me, then definitely don't look at me. But who right now is the most difficult person in your life to love? Think about that. Has to be a human, cannot be an animal, you know, it cannot be whatever. Take a second, think about that. Have that person in mind. Who is the most difficult person in your, your life right now? See, these verses ask questions of us, even though we're in Christ. So I'm thinking of someone. They're not in this room. They're not in this church. And when I think of them, I'm suspicious of their motives in light of some of the things we've talked about or said. Or I tend to avoid this person if I can, but sometimes you just can't. In those imaginary moments when I'm cutting the lawn, having that conversation with myself, I've taken this person so, to court, so to speak, many times, and I'm innocent, he or she's guilty, and the judge sentences this person to some island somewhere in the Mediterranean. And then I take communion, and I'm convicted. Do you know why? Not because I've been unloving towards that person, but because I've lived in disobedience to that person in my attitudes. And I realize, in Christ, I am the most difficult person to love for Christ. Because I put aside his loving commands, even when he is in me, powerfully at work through me, in Christ reminding me, you're chosen, you're beloved, you're holy, and yet you dwell in this place of suspicious animosity because of what someone said or did to you. You're difficult to love. 
I am very difficult to love in Christ. I mean, really, the gospel rehearsal announces not only God's stupendous, unfathomable, unmeasurable love in sending his son to come to you and me to rescue me, to do what he did for me as my representative and king, to endure the hostility and anger and malice of sinners in order to bear upon the cross the judgment due my every sin as a Christian. And yet he says to me, Bauer, you are chosen, holy, beloved every day. Even as there's still clearly repentance needed and conviction awaiting. Go back to my original illustration. Do you know how I can go a whole week suspicious of someone who said something snarky to me and removing myself someone? It's because I have gospel amnesia, and so do you. And so Paul writes this letter, both as a tonic to that, but then to woo us back, call us back to these precious attitudes and say to you and to me of that person that is so difficult to love, and I can't go through each of these, but I'll just highlight the last three, which I think are challenging enough. Oh, because they're all an act of the will. When he says, bear with one another, he is saying to me, that you don't give up on that person. You're not allowed to. Because Christ will never give up on you. Isn't that good news that Christ isn't going to give up on you? The hard part of that is he calls you to never give up on that person. To, to forgive the Lord as the Lord forgave you. Oh, that requires a big heart, doesn't it? In light of some of the sins we've suffered, it requires a big heart. But the cross that we look at each week as we sing, that declares God has a big heart for you and I, and therefore there is grace and mercy and spirit and truth to help us grow in this heart-level love that finds an ability to love another person even when it's the painful cost of forgiveness. And then, above all else, put on love which binds everything together in humility. See, this, this love, this Holy Spirit in Christ love is like the mortar on the bricks that holds this building up. Can imagine if 15 years ago when we bought this building that sat here unused for 30, 40 years, Imagine if when we did the inspection, and it was in really bad shape, believe me, but imagine if we discovered that there was no mortar between the bricks. And I came to the congregation and said, 
I got a deal for us. There is an abandoned church building in Franklin. It's a brick building. Yeah, there was a fire. There's no stairs. Yeah, we have a, like a prehistoric squirrel there that's probably a carnivore, not a nut eater, and will attack people. We also have a Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band album wedged in one of the, there's that too. But the bricks that are all nicely stacked together, there's no mortar. If we put that to a vote, how many votes would I have gotten to buy that building? Wow. Bauer don't know much about buildings, but this I do know. When you're in a brick building, you want there to be mortar holding those bricks together. Otherwise, it won't stay up. Christ knows a lot about his building, the church. And love is the mortar that binds it all together. It has to be. Because we are called to put on Christ. And the language Paul is using is like that of putting on a garment. This is the suit I wear to weddings and I wear for sermon illustrations. And I really don't know what to do with it when it's on, except to put it on, because if I try to button, I realize I'm not as thin as I once was. But secondly, I don't really know what you do once it's on you, but there's no mistaking it. When I have the jacket on, it changes my appearance, doesn't it? It's visible to others, isn't it? If I leave it on, people will say, that's the first time he's ever given a message with his suit jacket on. And there's a chalk thing on his shoulder too. You shouldn't wear that in public without first going to the dry cleaner. It's all kinds of things we think. Did you come to church today? Putting on the virtues of Christ? Did I? He, he doesn't put things on. It's who he is. He, he relates to you and I tomorrow morning, Wednesday afternoon, Saturday, out of all of these because we remain his beloved chosen and holy ones in Christ. But he calls you, if you're a Christian, to not have gospel amnesia. He calls me as a follower to not forget Christ and what he's done for me and to live in a way that reflects Jesus as an expression of my worship. So how do I make it happen? And we end with this. I know, Jim, I haven't been good at signaling what points we're on. So this is the last point, point three. How do we make this happen? How do we bring Colossians 3, verse 17, or excuse me, 12 to 17, into our day, into our lives, so that these exhortations by Paul become a part of what we do as part of our daily routine each and every day as we worship and serve the Lord together. Look with me again in verse 15. Having exhorted them in these attitudes, he says to them in verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called and be thankful 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do in the name, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through the Father in him. How do we make these things happen? How do we work these things into our hearts? Well, the first thing we have to recognize about this passage is this passage is primarily about our relationships with one another in the community of Christ, in the local church and in the broader body of Christ. This is about what we are becoming together. So it's not so much something we can work out in private. It's something that we do together as we are putting on the new self. The second thing we recognize, as Paul says, is that when the peace of Christ rules in our heart, he's not talking so much about a feeling or a sentimentality, an emotional state. No, he's talking about a settled conviction that when you are convinced And by God's grace, we are becoming convinced that I am fully loved in Christ. Amen? That my life is secure through Christ. And that what is precious to me comes from him and through him and ultimately to him. When we know that, there is a peace Paul says, that rules in our hearts. So when I am restless and I begin to forget my identity in Christ, when my speech sounds more like verse 6, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscenity, or whatever else comes out of my heart through my mouth. Theologically, I may say I'm a Christian, but, but in that moment, Christ is not ruling in the way he desires. And so question, what rules you, what rules Bauer, what rules you, in the decisions you're making about your family right now. Is it Christ? Is it Colossians? Is it the New Testament with these precious commands? What rules my decisions I'm making towards others at work, in the classroom, in the neighborhood? You would never do this, and I see what the time it is, so this will be my last illustration. Having flown back from Illinois, uh, Linda stayed longer, I came back. Um, I'm sad to say that I grew quite impatient with the good people of the Boston area in both Logan Airport and South Station. Uh, I feel like I need to give a clinic, and how do you ride those moving uh, stairways, what are those things called that run through the airport? Es- are they escalators, but they don't go up? Whatever those are. You know what I'm talking about? They move. And I certainly could help the good people of South Station, so they clearly don't know how to ride escalators. 
when people are late and trying to catch a connection, and you are not late, and you are on one of those moving runways or one of those escalators, you are supposed to be on the right with your luggage, not on the left or taking up both sides so that impatient people like me can run by you and make the train or make the connection without missing the connection or missing. And when you miss it, and you have in your bosom all those people that don't know how to ride escalators and runways in the airport. It happened twice on the trip home. I was glad nobody knew I was a, Christ, a pastor. The looks I gave people, the words that were forming, which I didn't speak. But they say, when you're hiking the trails of New Hampshire, I'm told, a bear can smell you, how many miles? A mile? Oh, I thought it was 100 miles. That's not as impressive. I thought those bears in New Hampshire were more impressive than that. Okay, well, we'll compromise. I'm going to say 10 miles away. That a bear can smell you 10 miles away. Just like Jacqueline, we could smell those Appalachian trail hikers 10 miles away who have been on the trail for months where there's no showers and the deodorant ran out a long time ago. The people in South Station and the people at Logan didn't know I was Christian or let alone pastor. But God could smell me. Couldn't he? Because I'm in Christ. And I stunk. I stunk. Not literally. I stunk spiritually. Because the peace of Christ wasn't ruling my heart. That's not a feeling. And it's not a rule. For those of us that tend to be legalistic, it's a relationship with Jesus. And when my worship of him fuels that peaceful ordering so that I remind myself, I'm the most difficult person you have to love every day. And therefore, my impatience towards my difficult person is just a symptom of, I have gospel amnesia. And I can sing the gospel song in Greek but my character exhibits I've forgotten who I am and my experience, and he smells it. God in his mercy comes to us through the church, through a scripture, and doesn't scold us, doesn't condemn us, but does call us, and it's hard work. Tomorrow morning, put it back on. Put it back on. Put on the new self. And through my grace and mercy, which will never end for you, it never runs out. Not yet, but in part. Not fully, but the next step, you're going to move towards that most difficult person. You're going to put on what clearly you lack, which is Christ-like fill in the blank. And through the peace and the presence that he provides, you're going to worship Christ in your relationship with that person. Paul goes on, he says, don't stop with peace. Let's talk about your singing. I'm so thankful, Dan, for our worship team. 
you guys lead us so effectively. We need to tell the whole team when they're here. Those new songs we're learning are outstanding. And none of these are professional musicians, and we're not paying any of them, right? And they're crushing it. Not perfectly. The projector team, you're crushing it. And it's hard to do that thing. And Mark, you're crushing it in the sound. I can't do any of this stuff because you're helping us sing, sing these songs to Christ. Yes? Amen? That, that rescues us from gospel amnesia so that we... Oh, put on... compassionate hearts because he's compassionate and then as if to just make the case whatever you do Jamelo this week do it in 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 the Lord in Christ you are already in him do it through him in him by him giving thanks. Do you know why there's complaining in the church? Do you know why Bauer complains about the church, whether it's broad or near? Do you know why complaining more than thankfulness marks your life and marks the church? There's a lot of gospel amnesia. Because three times we're told, give thanks, be thankful. It's your worship that's lacking. It's my worship that's deficient. I've stopped putting on the garment of the new self. And I feel justified to complain. I feel justified to give you the business. I'm from Philadelphia. That's what we do in Philadelphia. We give you the business. No. No, you're not. You're not in Philadelphia. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. And there, do everything. In the name of the Lord, being thankful. What? That we're in Christ. Lord, we thank that in heaven right now, of which in the mystery of our plentiful redemption, we are with you. You are with us by your Spirit. We are joined to you in an indissoluble union. And although what we are in Christ is hidden, as Paul says in verse 4, one day it will be full to see. But Lord, I pray for me and any like me whom have taken off the new self in their relationships with people that are difficult to love. And Lord, although there may be in, in earthly reasons understandable explanations, spiritually speaking, it's a symptom of gospel amnesia. I need a new mind. I need new memories. I need a new experience of life in Christ. And communion heralds today, 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 new life, new life in Christ. New life that gives me not only the desire, but an ability, not perfectly, but nonetheless intentionally through hard work and effort to change my attitudes, 
to put on the virtues of Christ that are, that are visible to others and to do so fueled by my desire to worship the Lord in everything I do and say. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. That even if the last 35 minutes under your word, we still exhibit gospel amnesia. Because we're slow, I'm slow. I check boxes and miss the main thing all the time. You say to me, Mm -hmm. in Christ, Mm -hmm. you're my chosen one. You're holy. You're beloved. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your mercy. Help me now to live as one who has received Christ the Lord. Help us all, Lord, as your people, your church. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's stand.